0: Snuff
1: Production. So do you remember that moment in the pandemic? In some ways, probably the darkest moment, but also in some ways the brightest moment where anything seemed possible. There were policies like JobKeeper, which people thought were like the universal basic income. Suddenly working from home was a reality, even though people have been trying to get that happening for ages. Another idea that often gets thrown around and was mentioned at the time is the four-day working week. Obviously, people get pretty excited about an extra day off or a long weekend, but this one never seems to happen. In this episode, we're looking at this huge four-day working week trial that's happening around the world. It's a six-month trial that's going to involve over 10,000 workers and 170 companies.
2: For CEOs that are looking at this debate and are considering it, they need to ask themselves the question, is it a bigger risk? to try this in your business and it doesn't work? Or is it a bigger risk not to do it and your biggest competitor does it first?
1: So in this episode of Briefing, we'll interview that guy. He is the man coordinating this global four-day week trial. Could it finally push the four-day working week into the mainstream? That's our briefing. First, here are today's headlines. It is Wednesday, June 15. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Antoinette Latouf for the headlines.
0: G'day Tom, well we're not always in the business of good news but today is a little bit different because there is a pay rise decision for more than 2.6 million Aussies, that's imminent. The Fair Work Commission will hand down its decision later this morning and that will affect people on award and minimum wages and that's about a quarter of all workers.
1: Well, it depends um, what the number is as to whether it's good news or bad news. The Albanese government has argued for a 5.1% rise in line with inflation, but unions are calling for a bigger one, 5.5% to prevent a real wage cut.
0: There's never, ever been a time where a pay increase has been more important, and that's obviously because of rising inflation. Low-paid workers in particular are really, really struggling, and that's because all the basics are going up. That's Sally McManus from the ACTU there. But the Australian Industry Group, which is the business lobby, wants the increase to be limited to 2.5%, arguing any higher would risk further inflation and more interest rate hikes.
1: Yeah, so last year, the minimum wage increased by just 2.5%. That's to $772 a week or $20 an hour. You might remember this became an election issue Mm. because Anthony Albanese called for this 5% pay rise. Scott Morrison at the time called Albo a loose unit with the economy um, and said that this would throw fuel on the fire of inflation. And Labor's argument was that this would just stop our lowest paid workers going backwards in real terms.
0: Yeah. And just to put it in context, Tom, while wages have increased around 82% in the past 20 years, when you compare that to Aussie home values, they've grown 190%. So like more than double the rate.
1: And the Governor of the Reserve Bank has warned of more pain on interest rates.
2: I think it's reasonable that in interest rates get to the cash rate gets to two and a half percent at some point.
0: That was Philip Lowe in a rare interview on ABC's 7:30 last night. he also said he expected inflation to hit 7% by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, so a cash rate of 2.5% is a big jump from where it was during the pandemic of 0.1%. At the moment, it's at 0.85%, which comes after a 50 basis point increase last week. Now, in the US, experts are predicting a 0.75% rate hike tomorrow, which is what sent share markets into a massive meltdown yesterday. And that's off the back of their inflation figure of 8.6%.
0: And markets fear aggressive rate rises will drive the economy into recession. So, our share market had its roughest day since the start of the pandemic, ending 3.6% down.
1: Philip Lowe um, was asked an interesting question by Lee Sales last night. One of the most contentious things that he's done in recent times is to say during the pandemic that interest rates wouldn't be going up until 2024. Mm. So, they're at this record low rate. And a lot of people borrowed on that guidance. So he was asked about that last night and he said that his comments were interpreted as a promise. Really what they were saying was they expected um, rates to stay where they were until 2024 based on their current expectations for the economy, but Mm. the economy exceeded their expectations and that's why they've changed their guidance.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine from now on he'll choose his words a little more carefully um, Mm. because a lot of people are now thinking, what, this is not what you promised or this Mm. is not what you indicated. And, and Tom, I did learn a new word um, and that's stagflation. Mm. It's kind of the worst of all economic worlds and there's fear that this could happen now. And that's uh, where inflation is high, but also gross domestic product growth is sluggish. And that's something we haven't seen um, in Australia since the 1970s.
1: And New South Wales and Queensland have avoided the power blackouts they were warned about. But the power crisis continues with growing concerns some suppliers are trying to take advantage of the situation.
2: In relation to gaming the system, the Australian energy regulator, I can tell you, wrote to the generators, reminding them of their obligations under the law.
0: Energy Minister Chris Bowen there.
1: Yeah, so the cost of power has been rising rapidly, which has brought the regulator in. They've capped the wholesale price of electricity in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia, and that's at $300 a megawatt hour.
0: But that caused many generators to suddenly withdraw capacity, arguing they could no longer make money under the price cap.
1: And no more masks at the airport. Um, The mandate is set to lift from midnight on Friday after a recommendation from the Australian Health Protection Principal Committee.
0: They've said it's no longer proportionate to mandate mask wearing in the terminals, but you still have to wear them on the plane.
1: Yeah, and they still are recommending we wear masks inside the airport and those airports are pretty busy. There's a lot of um, influenza and COVID getting around. So I think probably a lot of people will still choose to wear them Mm. but you don't have to anymore.
0: Yeah look I've been traveling a lot in the past few weeks. I have never seen the airports this busy. Um, Will you
1: keep wearing a mask?
0: I will. I will. All right
1: Antoinette we'll catch you again soon. It's time to talk about the three-day weekend otherwise known as the four-day work week. So Katrina Blowers, question for you. Do you think you could be as productive in 30 hours as you are in 40?
3: I'm going to say yes, because I have been a journalist forever. So I need a fire lit behind me for me to actually get stuff done. So the less time I'm given, the more productive I am for sure. It's a sickness.
1: And you're also saying that because you want a day off a week. Know, yeah.
3: <laughs> How good would that be? So, okay, there's this idea that's been kicking around for a long time now. In fact, over a hundred years ago, the the concept of the four-day work week was floated as a way of sharing work among the unemployed and the underemployed during the Great Depression.
1: Yeah. And since then, the ideas bounced around loads of times, including in the pandemic where everything was sort of thrown up in the air. But unlike the working from home sort of evolution we've seen. The four-day week still hasn't hit the mainstream.
3: A huge trial, the world's biggest trial so far, happened in Iceland last year. Two and a half thousand workers took part. Researchers called it groundbreaking. They found a four-day work week without a pay cut, and that is the key. You've got to <laughs> still get paid the same amount. Improved both productivity and a sense of well-being, less stress, and a better work-life balance. Microsoft in Japan trialled it back in 2019. They recorded a 40% rise in productivity. I don't know if that's unique to the four-day work Work week or Japanese workers?
1: So there's now a much bigger trial happening. So I guess we've seen those sort of smaller, more isolated trials. Um, this one involves initially a six month trial in the UK involving 3,300 workers, but they're signing up other companies around the world, including 20 Australian companies. It'll kick off here in August. All up, we're talking about 170 companies around the world giving this the go. So could this be the moment that shifts the needle on the four day work week?
3: Joe O'Connor is the CEO of 4-Day Week, who has been running the trial in partnership with researchers from universities, including Oxford and Cambridge, and he joins us on the briefing now.
1: Joe, thanks so much for joining us. It feels like this debate on the 4-Day Working Week goes around and around. So where are we starting off as you kick off this trial? Have many companies around the world implemented a 4-Day Working Week yet, or are you still coming off basically a zero base?
2: So our organization, 4-Day Week Global, was set up back in 2019 by Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockers, who had introduced this in their own business, Perpetual Guardian, in 2018. Since then, the 4-Day work week has slowly been growing as a concept within the business world globally, but it's really been the pandemic in the last 12 months that has skyrocketed the idea really into the mainstream. We have currently 170 companies from six countries participating in four-day workweek trials who have signed up in the first half of this year alone, um, with over 10,000 employees cumulatively. And really what we're hoping that those trials will do is to demonstrate that some of the very positive outcomes and some of the, the success stories and case studies that we've seen developing around the four-day work week in recent years, that that can be replicated on a much broader scale in different industries and also in different countries.
3: All right. So give us the sell. I guess for us, having a day off seems fantastic, but what are the benefits here?
2: Well, as you said, I think the benefits from an employee perspective are well-documented and are pretty self-evident. This is something that obviously, can be transformative in terms of work-life balance, enabling people to spend more time with family, community, learning new skills or, or taking up new hobbies. It's also shown, both from a, a research and a case study perspective, to significantly improve employee well-being, reduce work-related stress and burnout. But from an employer perspective, you know, in addition to addressing some of these well-being and burnout questions among their workforce. We've also seen companies who have moved to a four-day work week actually increase productivity which you know for some people can seem very surprising but actually workforces that are better rested that have a four-day work week offered to them on a trial basis very closely linked to managing to achieve and hit certain targets managing to maintain certain metrics that that can actually deliver a more focused more motivated workforce where the company's interests and the employee's interests are very closely aligned. The other thing that's really come to the fore in the last 12 months is the four day work week becoming something that leaders are considering to give them a competitive edge, as something that can really set themselves apart when it comes to recruitment and retention in a very, very tight labor market.
1: Yeah, I guess that's been one of the changing dynamics post-pandemic that um, workers seem to have more power because there's a labour shortage in so many industries. Um, how do you know this is the the right solution? I guess when you contrast it to the other idea floating around, it's it's a good point of comparison. That there's another idea of doing a six-hour working day five days a week. So does that actually fit better with the human attention span and ability to stay productive? Because your idea hinges on workers achieving five days worth of work in four days, which means essentially um, having a very productive eight hours a day. But can humans really stay fully productive for that long?
2: So you're absolutely right. And actually, what you're talking about is the same concept, but just designed slightly differently. So while our organization is called Four Day Week Global, and the headline is the Four Day Week, in practicality, what we're talking about is work time reduction. So, we have a concept which is the 180 100 model, which is 100% of the pay, 80% of the time in exchange for a commitment to delivering 100% of the output. And what that might mean for different companies, for different departments, and for different employees might look very differently. So, some companies might be able to have a universal day off where they shut the office on a Friday, people work Monday to Thursday. For other companies, that isn't going to be practical or possible, so they need to design different shifts, different rosters to make sure that they have coverage and service throughout the work week. But also, we do see some companies and, and some employees opting for five shorter days, which you know, from a, a, an individual perspective can, for some employees, enable them to do the school runs if they come in later and, and finish earlier, as opposed to having a single day off. Our experience is, is that for more than 80% of employees, when given the option between a day off or five shorter days, they choose the the four-day work week model. But I think both are very practical and feasible possibilities as part of the, the same conversation.
1: Where do you think this is all going to go, Joe? Because I've been reporting on this for ages and it never seems to happen. Do you really think this trial is going to shift the needle on this debate? And, and what if the trial finds that, Workers aren't as productive. Are you prepared for that?
2: Well, I think the needle has already been shifted. We're talking about something that is a very, very culturally and societally embedded idea of the five day work week. It's been around for over a century. It harks back to the manufacturing age. So sometimes it takes a great disruptor to dislodge and to challenge some of those deeply rooted conventions. I think that's what the pandemic has done. Workers have really. Their horizons have shifted in terms of what's possible, and also their priorities have shifted in terms of what they see as a reasonable life-work balance in the 21st century. I think managers are more open-minded to this idea because remote working forced them to trust workers and to really focus on output rather than hours worked in presenteeism. And I think leaders now, because of the great resignation and the kind of labor market that's out there, are looking at the four day work week and saying, maybe we can't compete in the top 1% of compensation, but we can compete in the top 1% of work weeks. Our view is the genie isn't gonna go back into the bottle. This is a growing trend. The question in my mind is how quickly rather than if.
3: I've taken some time off to have children. And so I have worked a four-day week before. And what I found is that you still get those phone calls on your day off and you still have to attend to things. And I'm thinking in particular if companies aren't aligned with which day – staff are taking off, then people aren't going to respect, like at the moment, most people do get a Saturday, Sunday off. So not having to fill calls on those days is a standard practice. What are some of the issues there and how do you carve that day out, particularly if different companies have different days off?
2: Well, can I ask you a question? When you took the, that reduced hour schedule, I assume you did so on reduced pay? Absolutely. I think this is a really important part of the debate because we did a survey back in 2018. I'm originally from Ireland. We did a survey of public sector workers in Ireland, asking them about attitudes to reduce work time. And the thing that really struck me from that was we had hundreds and hundreds of working parents, mostly mothers, who were returning from maternity leave and had already taken a four day work week, but at 80% pay. But what so many of them were saying was that their responsibilities were the same their output was the same, their expectations were the same as they were when they were on a five-day week or as their, their five-day workweek colleagues. And I think that tells us two things. It tells us, number one, we have a, a gender equality issue in the workplace, but also, number two, that Parkinson's law holds true, which is that a task will expand to fill the time available for its completion. And I think that's really at the heart of the four-day work week discussion. I think the operation and the logistics around ensuring that people's individual day offs are respected when you don't have universal days is something that we work with companies in the planning, the preparation, and the design of this. It's about moving the needle on the standard expectation. I think that's the key thing. We've had productive capacity and technological advancements over the last number of decades build up without any real changes to the work week. Mm. I think that it's possible that this happens maybe a lot quicker than it did when the five-day work week came about. John Maynard Keynes predicted about a century ago that by now, we'd all be working 15-hour work weeks because of the kinds of advances that he predicted. He wasn't wrong when you look at globalization, when you look at digitalization, the internet, email. We've had incredible advances as a society in the last couple of decades, but yet this has not translated into any change in the work week. So I think for sure, this is an idea as we come out of the pandemic whose time has come for CEOs that are are looking at this debate and are considering it. They need to ask themselves the question, is it a bigger risk to try this in your business and it doesn't work? Or is it a bigger risk not to do it and your biggest competitor does it first?
1: Yeah, when you give it that long lens, it it does sound like it's time for a rethink, given all these productivity gains that haven't come with the increased leisure time necessarily, which, um, you know, is the sort of the bargain for modern life that never made sense, it seems. Joe, great to speak to you. Thanks for your time.
2: Thanks, folks. Appreciate it.
3: That was Joe O'Connor, the CEO of the four-day week. And yeah, absolutely the time is right for this kind of thing. I guess I'm thinking more of shift workers like you and me, Tom. Mm. I doubt that the four-day working week would ever be a thing for us, but maybe, maybe... You know, traditional media companies as well as um, big corporates that, that need to attract and retain staff, maybe they'll get on board one day too. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I guess it's the, always about the context around these strategies. So because there's a different kind of labour market where the people have more power at the moment, it could be the time for this change. I just still have the suspicion that we're inherently lazy. <laughs> no matter how much, you know, rope you give us, we'll probably give about the same back. I'm not sure, but I, I think it's worth, definitely worth a try. And if it makes us happier, of course. And like you said, like just seeing it in its full historical context, knowing that you know this five-day thing with the weekend it is a total construct. Um, yeah. We've got to unpack it at some point.
3: And the other thing is that one of the things that I missed when I did work a little bit from home during the pandemic, and other people have said too, is just that banter that you have with your colleagues. And Mm. if you're feeling this pressure to get all your work done in those four days, you know, the the chats that you have that kind of make going to work worthwhile, you might feel pressure not to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that even plays into the idea that a six-hour working day, five days a week might actually be a better solution. You still have that daily contact that that you're talking about. And I think it maybe fits better with our attention spans as well and probably the school drop-off for parents. Tomorrow in the briefing, we're talking about the Reserve Bank's uh, embarrassing error in their own words. Uh, Philip Lowe was saying that interest rates would stay at record lows until 2024, as late as last October. Uh, Now here we are seeing massive increases in interest rates causing massive pain for anyone that took out a loan on the basis of that guidance. So we drill into that, how many people will be affected and where does it all go from here in this crazy moment of stagflation? Listener